And if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, forward in faith, fortifying our foundations. And uh, you know, Christian, the greatest thing that will test our foundations are the troubles and struggles we go through, trials and uh, storms of life. And what can the righteous do really is the question. What can the righteous do when the foundations of our nation, community, church, or home begin to crumble, writes uh, one author. He says, Bible teacher and commentator Warren Wearsby offers this answer. He said, lay the foundations again. Each generation must see to it that the foundations of truth and justice are solid. Samuel laid again the foundations of the covenant, and Ezra laid again the foundations of the temple. In spite of all his trials, David lived to make preparations for the building of the temple and the organization of the temple worship. During the checkered history of Judah, godly kings cleansed the land of idolatry and brought the people back to the true worship of the Lord. Christ's messages to the churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 make it clear that local churches need constant examination to see if they're faithful to the Lord. And we need to pray for a constant reviving work of the Spirit. And as we look at foundations this morning, if you have your Bibles, would you follow along with me as I read Psalm 11, verses 1 through 3. There is a Bible in the pew, uh, if you would like to borrow that and use that during the service. Psalm 11, verse 1, In the Lord put I my trust, how say ye to my soul? Flee as a bird to your mountain, for lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart, if the foundations be destroyed. What can the righteous do? As we continue our look at the foundations this morning, if you are a Christian, faith is your foundation. Faith in whom? How, How do we learn about this faith journey? How do we learn about what is acceptable? What is the source for this foundation of faith? Now the Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, 38, now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. God has called us to live by faith. But what does that mean? How is that practically applied to every area of our lives? If we're going to be a successful Christian, we must fortify our foundation. We must establish what is the very foundation and source of faith for how you live and how you conduct yourself in this life. Now, if your faith is not settled, in the one who holds eternity, you will be violently tossed in your life. You will be jumping from this idea or this philosophy to this philosophy to this philosophy and so on and so forth and your own thinking and then your own thinking doesn't work and you're like, well, that's not working. I need this. Well, that's not working. I'm trying this and I'm trying this. I'm trying. And you're going to continually be looking and searching, but you have no foundation. You see, if you're solidly set and you're firmly fixed, as we talked about there, will your anchor hold? Are you bolted to that anchor? Are you bolted to the rock that doesn't move? In James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, the Bible tells us, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally. Now that's a liberal I lie. God says, listen, if you ask for wisdom, I'm going to give it to you abundantly, liberally. That's a good liberal. I like that. And upbraideth not, it shall be given him, but let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. I want to ask you a question this morning. Where you're at and in your life, are you being driven with the waves and the storms? 
that you're facing. You're being tossed about violently. It's kind of, I remember one time my wife and I, we we were in Hawaii for a time and and while we were there, we were snorkeling. And I remember as we were going around, we were on this reef, and there were some waves coming. And man, there was a period of time I was at this place, and I had the flippers on, and I had the goggles, and the snorkel, and I had the whole works, right? But I'm here, and all of a sudden, a big wave comes, and it smashes me into a rock. It didn't feel very good. Well, that's the very thing. If we're not anchored, you're going to be smashed. You're going to face some additional hurts and pains because your foundation is not settled. So this morning, may you make Christ your foundation. May you make the Bible your guide to life and a deeper walk with Christ. Let's pray. Our dear and heavenly, gracious Father, I come before thy throne. And Lord, I yield this morning to Thee. Lord, I pray that You'd still our hearts, quiet us down. And Father, I pray that we would be found faithful. I pray, Lord, that our foundation would be settled upon Thee, unmoving, unwavering. And Lord, it's easy when the storms come to to lose sight of a faith in You and begin to try to do it our own way. Father, this morning I pray that you'd encourage heart, encourage each and every person's heart that the Bible is the answer. Jesus Christ is the foundation. Father, we are not to lean under our own understandings, but you have the answers if we'll follow it. Father, I thank you for being our gracious Redeemer. And God, I pray that you would work upon hearts even this morning. Anyone that does not know you is their Savior. They're not settled. If they were to die, where are they going to for eternity? They say, well, I think heaven. I hope heaven. I Probably heaven. Lord, we don't want it as an uncertainty or a probability. We want it as a certainty, as the Bible tells us, that you might know that you have eternal life. Lord, may that be settled this morning. Our dear Father, I thank you for loving us, I thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ in my place and the place of each and every precious person here. God, you take over this time and we'll respond as you work in our hearts. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. A little bit of review. How firm is your foundation, the firm foundation? Where is your foundation? The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2, 9, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having the sealed. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. I want to ask you in your life, if you are in iniquity, you're living in sin, or you're doing sin in your life, and you know you're in sin, then your foundation is not God. Your foundation is leaning to your own understanding. Your, your, your foundation of God standeth sure, but you're not surely with Him. The firm foundation. So the question to ask yourself, where is your foundation? Now the foundation of faith is who is our faith? Well, we learn from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Your faith starts, with the author of faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. You do put your faith in Christ. We have a cross here, a symbol, but a symbol that he died on a cross, similar, not, not a birch, but anyways, or whatever that tree is. But we have it as, as a truth that Jesus died on a cross 
for our sins and your sin, for all of our sins. He died and he rose again. My foundation, he's the author of faith. The author of the very one that gets me to be reconciled with an almighty God. That is my foundation. Salvation is your start of your foundation. Now, we learn also from Hebrews chapter 11. Look with me here again. Just a little bit of review as we picked up where we left off after last week. But uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. And this is really what this verse is speaking of here, is what we're doing on our Thursday night Bible studies. It asks questions and all sorts of things. We're trying to establish a, firm, a firmness of the person's faith in God and the foundation of it. Verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 11, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God, testifying of his gifts, and by it he, being dead, yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found, because God had translated. For before this time he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, Christian, you will never please God unless you live your life by faith. And I'm going to talk about this morning, how do we live out this faith? Now the perception of your faith is if others are looking at your life, where do you get the wisdom for life? Where do you get the acknowledgement? Where do you get the instruction for how to deal with whatever you're facing in life? The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord. Trust is or faith in the Lord with all thine heart. Don't hold anything back and lean not on thine own understanding. You're not trusting in God with all your heart if you're continuing to resort to your own way of thinking and dealing with your own circumstances. In all thy ways acknowledge him. Well, what ways is that? He says all your ways. He's not saying some of your ways. Well, I'll deal with God on Sundays or Wednesdays or both, or I'll deal with God uh, at this time, but I'm not going to deal with God in this way. Well, when you're going through whatever you're in, whether it's the good times or the bad times, where are you resorting? How is your faith, how is your life being conducted? What is the guiding influence for how you're living your life? The Bible has given instructions in all the ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Now, those paths that he's saying, he's not just going to direct your paths when things are going well. That he will do. But he said when things are going terrible, and you don't know why you're there. I mean, Joseph would say to his brothers later on after he identified himself to his brothers who had put him into captivity, thrown him into a pit, and sold him into slavery, where he became under Potiphar's wife, who's Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife lied about him, about that he tried to, have, uh, uh, tried to assault her, which was not true. He was thrown into prison there for several years, and then he finally got elevated to second in command because God, allowed, God used him. But he said, God used this to spare our people. God used the hard times to bring him there. 
He wasn't continuing to, re, to look back and say, oh, woe is me, I've had a really hard life. Oh, I'm really angry and bitter at my brothers. No, he, he let go of that. He said, I know that God allowed me through all of that to bring me here so that I could be used to save my brethren. That is in all thy ways you're acknowledging him. When you're in the pit, when you're sold there with the slave traders, when you're there in Potiphar's house, when Potiphar's wife lies about you and says you tried to assault her, when you're there in the prison and you help people out and they, you say, hey, can you help me out when you get out of prison? They get out of jail and they totally forget about you. You're thinking, is God still there for me? In all their ways acknowledge him. But the truth is, Christian, and for so many lives, Here's how I deal with the situation. Here's what I need to do. But I want to ask you, what is the fountain of faith? The question is, what can the righteous do? I'd like you to look with me at Romans chapter 15, verse 4. You know, sometimes we, we think, well, no one has been through what I've been through. No one knows what I'm going through. And that could be true. No one does necessarily know what you're going through. And all the turmoil that's going on within some and that's true. Only one that truly knows is God. But if you're there in the pit and your siblings have sold you into slavery, you're there with the slave traders and the slave masters, you're there as a slave in Potiphar's house, you're there in prison, falsely accused for not doing what they said you did, and then is God still good? Is God still on the throne? Is, is your faith still solid? And so many of us, when these trials come, we lean to our own understanding for how to conduct ourselves and how to fix problems. And what we show is that our faith is very weak and it's not settled, it's not founded. We can say, Jesus is my foundation, and yes, he should be. But if you're not following Jesus in submission to him and to his word, then your faith isn't settled. Yes, you're a child of God. I'm not saying you're losing your salvation. But what I'm saying is your faith, you are not pleasing to God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning that we, through patience, why would you need patience? Well, you need patience when you're going through the very difficult times of life. Through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. The truth of the Scriptures is to help you to have patience. And the, the problem is, we don't like that word patience. I'm going to fix the problem my way. I'm going to do it my way. And I, <laughs> I've tried that many a time. It's a painful lesson. Patience and comfort of the Scriptures. Wherever you're at, God's desire says, I want you to have hope. Because it's when those storms come that you're easily to be upset. I'd like you to look with me at another passage of Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. People undermine the power of God's Word. We say, I believe the book, 
We say we have the right book. We say we're, we're people of the book. But the only way we can settle it, that we are people of the book, is when these situations arise in our life. Am I going to God's Word for instruction or am I only going to God's Word when I really think I need it? Right? We can say, I know what the Bible says. And I've heard this people, I've heard people say this. I know what the Bible says, but there's no but. If the Bible says it, if we are, if we are a Christian, we ought to follow it. It is our binding authority. We like to put those caveats, but, and in that sense, I have, entered, I have left faith into the position of rebellion. And I have left the harbor of safety with the Lord. Because I am leaving the instructions that God wants for my own understanding, and he won't direct your paths. Because you are in a situation, you say, well, I don't know where to turn in the Bible. It's, oh, you're always welcome to ask. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, the Bible tells us the very truths of this book. Verse 15 of 2 Timothy 3, And that from a child, thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Let me just make a quick aside before I go further with verses 16 and 17. It is why it is so important as a parent. You sit down with your child, and you read the Bible, and go through scriptural principles to impart to your child the means to salvation. The means to know what it is to live a life of faith. I carry on in verse 16, all scripture. All scripture, Genesis 1 to end of Revelation, is given by inspiration of God. It means it's God breathed, it's God's word for you. And it is, and, excuse me, and is profitable well, it's to your benefit. For doctrine, that is teachings of the Bible, for teachings, instructions. So here's what you need to do. For reproof, when you mess up. For correction, how's how you fix it. For instruction in righteousness, here's how you need to do it, to live the godly life. This is God's word. The reproof means a conviction, the correction, the correcting and restoring to an upright state. Someone is going in a wrong direction in opposition of God's word. They're going against the teachings of the Bible. It says instruction in righteousness. The thought is of training in that which is right. Why do we have a Thursday night Bible study? Why do we have a number of services here? The goal is that reproof, you know, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, you know, that whole idea of encouragement. There's encouragement. Sometimes, that, you know, sometimes we need to be encouraged when we're down. Sometimes we need to be, you know, kicked in the pants when we're going the wrong way. All, I mean, you, God knows where we're at. But the Bible has a means of giving us what I need in the particular state that I'm at. If you've gone through any great trial in your particular life, 
When you're in that trial, I want to ask you, how many times did you come to the Word of God seeking instruction as you were going through that or entering into that trial? How often did you come to God's Word and say, God, I don't know what to do. How do I respond? How do I act? Now, you might say, well, it's just God's Word. It's just the Bible. And we like to relegate it sometimes, well, that's what I read at church. That's what the pastor preaches from. That's a good thing. But, I, don't, I mean, it doesn't really apply to me today. And what we, if, if we have that mindset, it can't help heal my problems. It can't help heal my hurt. It can't help heal this, I, of what I'm going through. Then what you're saying is you have a greater knowledge than God. And you have now entered into the state of idolatry. And that is a fearful position to be. Because as we are in these situations of life, good times, bad times, if we call ourselves a Christian, then I need what this book has. It is telling me how to fix the problems I'm going through. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is quick, it means bringing life, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Have you ever sat in a message, a sermon, and man, it just pierced through your heart, and you're just, sometimes you're like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. Ah, you're just like, I can't, I can't wait, I'm checking my time. When can I get out of here? When can I go home? When's the preacher going to be quiet? You're just thinking, you know, it's just the word of God's coming in and you're just like, oh. The Bible knows how to get, because it's God's word. It pierces right to the very depths of your heart and of the joints and marrows and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts. I can't tell you how many times I've sat there listening to a particular sermon or reading the Bible, and I come under great conviction, oh no, Lord, I'm in trouble. Because this book has a power unparalleled by any human book. Because it's God's book. Look with me at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. If your faith is to be solid, irrespective, or without regard to what you're going through, when the hard times come, plant your face in this book. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. The Bible tells us we have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts knowing this first that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation. This book is not like what Joseph Smith had and these golden tablets never found the days until a light that shineth in a dark place, you can be in a dark place in your life. And you're saying, man, I need some instruction. I need some wisdom and guidance. And God's saying, listen, this is the answer. 
Now, what is the common practice, really, uh, of man? But we find here in, uh, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 26, verse 2, that God says, I want to give you all the instructions. Thus saith the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house. He's speaking to Jeremiah. And speak unto all the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house, all the words that I command thee to speak unto them. Diminish not a word. He said, Jeremiah, speak every word that I've told you to say. Don't hold back. Don't resist. Speak every word. Now, what is a common practice? I'd like you to look with me at 2 Kings chapter 22. 2 Kings chapter 22. Verse 12. This is Josiah finds the book in the temple. We actually spoke about this a little bit in, in Sunday school period of time. 2 Kings 22, verse 12, And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Achbor, the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan, and scribe and Asahiah, the servant of the kings, saying, Go ye, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not hearkened to the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. He says, go inquire of the Lord about this book. Maybe you're reading some things sometimes, you're like, this has a pretty strong resemblance to what's going on in my life, but I don't know how to apply it. Well, he says, go ask a godly person. Now, here's the place where the common practice of an individual in a hard time. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 13, 13, whoso despiseth the word to make light of God's word. Whoso despises the word shall be destroyed. So if you're in a period of time and you're fretting or fearful or anxious or whatever the strong emotion is and you're neglecting God's word, then you're despising God's word and the Bible says who despise the word shall be destroyed. You're going to have a lot of additional unnecessary consequences. But he that feareth the commandment shall be rewarded. When difficulty comes in your life, you're saying, I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. It's good to ask. God has placed authorities. He's placed the pastor as, an, as a help and encouragement in these hard times. The Holy Spirit of God, the Word of God, other strong Christians. But he says, despiseth the Word, and so easy is it in our lives to disdain, to hold in contempt. You said, that Bible gets dusty because it's not read, it's not used. Because we lean to our own understandings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I'm going to fix this problem my way. I'll do it in my anger. I'll do it in my frustration. I'll do it however I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it my way. When trials, hardships, tragedies, and difficulties arise, people fall apart or they wane or they lessen in their commitment to Christ. When hard times come, the first thing so often in a person's life is I'm withdrawing from church. I don't have time. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I'm too, you you name it. They withdraw from any fellowship with God's people. 
They blame, oftentimes, reactions on upbringing. Someone treated them poorly and Christians treated them poorly. They may claim an uncertainty of the future. I don't know what the future holds. They throw their hands up in complete defeat at the very thing that faces them. When at their fingertips or their quick access on the phone or other device, the sacred book needed for all of mankind. Do you realize this? In this book, God has, in the pages of this, the means of securing eternal life, conquering sin's grip upon us, navigating the harsh weathers of government, circumventing the hedonism. Hedonism is a a term that means the pursuit of pleasure. Pleasure is your highest aim. The hedonism of fornication for the long-lasting and security of love in a home. It gives us how to raise children, how to honor parents even if they're lost, how to deal with quarrelsome and difficult bosses, how to avoid false churches for a truly biblical church, how to discard teaching that will lead to bad fruit, how to choose the right friends, how to find your purpose in life, how to overcome trauma, how to overcome mental illness and being all you were created to be. That's what God's Word gives us and many more. One gentleman in the leadership ministries in the Preacher's Outline and Sermon Bible, this illustration I found, it says the spirit of escapism never ceases to plague faithless people. When a crisis strikes, the first impulse for many is to run. And this is faithlessness. Countless people ruin their lives in an attempt to escape their problems. Thousands have become addicted to drugs and alcohol because they repeatedly turn to these harmful substances for a few moments of relief. Every year, untold multitudes take their own lives because they feel they can no longer deal with their problems. Even some professing believers commit suicide. Some people quit jobs, move, or divorce their spouses rather than deal with the challenges that confront them. This is not God's will, and it is not the way of those who really trust God. People who are prone to run from their problems only hide from them for a short time. Eventually, their problems catch up to them. They are still the same people they have always been. And unless they live in faith and persevere in the power of God, they will waste the rest of their lives running away and attempting to escape life's troubles. End quotes. We must face our problems in faith. This day, here's some questions about the foundations of your faith. Is your foundation sure? I want to ask you, what is the state of your foundation? I want to read a little thing here by Dr. Rasmussen. He writes, due to a population explosion in Southern California in the early 1920s, plans were made to create a large reservoir to help meet the region's growing water needs. Engineer William Mulholland had achieved a great deal of recognition and respect among members of the engineering community when he supervised the design and construction of the longest aqueduct, aqueduct in the world at that time, the Los Angeles Aqueduct. And he was chosen as the chief engineer for the new project. After conducting a thorough study of the topography and geological features of the area, Mulholland was convinced that the San Francisco Canyon, about 40 miles northwest of downtown Los Angeles, was the ideal site. Design and construction began in 1924, and at its completion on May 4, 1926, the magnificent St. Francis Dam rose to a height of 185 feet above the canyon floor. The dam was an engineering marvel, the crown jewel of his career. But there was a problem. He wrote of the unstable nature of the face of the schist on the eastern side. This is kind of the layers of the, the, the dirt, the rock. 
He either misjudged or ignored it. As water began to fill the reservoir, several temperature and contraction cracks appeared in the dam, and seepage began to flow from under the abatements. Mulholland and his assistant chief engineer, Harvey Van Norman, inspected the crack and judged them to be within expectation for a concrete dam the size of Frank Sansa's. Workers were ordered to seal off the leaks, but they were not entirely successful. Late in 1927, a fracture appeared that ran diagonally across the dam. He inspected the cleft, judged it to be another inconsequential contraction crack, and left it alone. On March 7, 1928, more than a year later, yet another leak was discovered by a dam employee. He was concerned not only because there was a new leak, but also because the water in this runoff was muddy, indicating possible erosion of the dam's foundation. Mulholland and Van Norman inspected the dam and its various leaks and seepages, finding nothing out of the ordinary or concern for a large dam. But Mulholland and Van Norman made it clear that there just wasn't anything to worry about. He had a reputation to uphold. Surely there couldn't be any critical issues with his masterpiece. Acknowledging major engineering shortcomings would have jeopardized his hard-earned position and reputation. Two and a half minutes before midnight on March 12, 1928, the St. Francis Dam catastrophically failed. Within 70 minutes of the collapse, the reservoir was virtually empty as 12.4 billion Gallons of water began surging down San Francisco Canyon, becoming a 140-foot-high flood wave traveling 18 miles an hour. Countless workmen and their families were never found. The flood left an appalling record of death and destruction with hundreds of lives claimed. This disaster, which effectively ended the career of Mulholland, remains the second greatest loss of life in California's history after the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. Cracks in any foundation can cause catastrophic effects. And the most catastrophic tragedies of all are the result of cracks in the foundations of lives. These cracks affect not only us, but also those we know and love. In the busyness of life, with all the responsibility of family and ministry and work, we need to ask ourselves if we're ignoring foundational issues of heart that could lead to disaster. These cracks may not necessarily be visible yet to our family and friends, but the cracks are there nonetheless. And the potential case to cause irreparable or without repair harm, if not properly addressed, this is why the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 4.16, would you turn with me here? First Timothy 4.16. It says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Doctrine, that's the teachings of the Bible. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. First Timothy 4.16. 1 Timothy 4.16. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. He says, stay in the book. Let your faith be settled in this book because you'll save yourself and those that hear you. What you might be going through or what you're in now may not make sense. And it doesn't necessarily say, I don't understand why the Bible's saying this. The Bible has our instruction it says it'll save you and those who hear you, listen, because God has called us 
to not trust in our own understanding, and not lean to your own understanding. You see, a wise man will faithfully and conscientiously inspect his foundation and will be honest with himself and God when cracks are discovered. You see things in your life and you're like, ah, it's probably not of God. You know, we demonstrate great wisdom to inspect our lives. God, is there any sin in my life? You maybe hear several things that you could do to inspect your life to help you to have a deeper walk with the Lord. Here's several things that kind of, as you inspect your life, you need to ask yourself these questions. Number one, you know, we no longer, do you have, no longer have a vibrant and growing walk with the Lord? Number two, have you stopped guarding your heart from temptations? Number three, have you allowed your thought life to wander? Are there actions that you're doing, you know God doesn't approve of them, but you rationalize thoughts and behavior that previously would have convicted your conscience? Number four, you put a priority on temporal things such as money, position, recognition over essential things like holiness, godliness, and integrity. You emphasize the public over the private. You dismiss small sins in order to protect your reputation. You stop seeking counsel from others and discourage others from requiring accountability of us. Another one, you begin to pridefully look to yourselves rather than focusing on Jesus. If you continue to ignore these cracks in your integrity, you are positioning yourself for an inevitable and monumental collapse, bringing great reproach to your family, to the congregation, to the cause of Christ, and you are in grave danger of not finishing the race that God has given each and every one of us to complete. People will remember how you start. They may, but they will always remember how you finished. How do you finish your Christian life? How do you finish your life? They'll remember how you started it. They may, possibly, but they'll definitely remember how you finished. Are there cracks in your life revealing deeper foundational issues? We must take the steps to shore up any foundational, any foundation issues, any seal up those cracks. Now, how can we take the steps to strengthen our foundation of our lives? Number one, Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You must acknowledge the cracks and sincerely seek God in repentance. You have to acknowledge the sin first. You have to acknowledge there's a crack. Number two, by determining, by determining to live by the word of God, Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I don't know where to go in life. I don't know how to make the decisions I'm supposed to make, so I'm going to just get to God's word. It's the light to give me wisdom for every step, every decision I make. Number three, by attending church and exhorting others, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, Hebrews 10.25. Here's another way to inspect the cracks. You seek God in prayer. John R. Rice said, all of our failures are prayer failures. Psalm 55, 17, evening and morning at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. Here's another way. You read God's word daily and commit it to memory. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You settle in your heart. I'm going to get in God's word. Here's the next one. 
to inspect those cracks, share your testimony of how you came to know Jesus with a lost and dying world. When's the last time you told someone about Jesus? When's the last time you gave out a track and said, here, I'd like to invite you to church and here's some things. Man, this track, the truths in this track changed my life. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he that winneth souls is wise. God says you need to be out there giving out the gospel. How do you also shore up the cracks? You intentionally meditate on God's standard, Psalm 1-2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Another thing is you guard your thought life, 2 Corinthians 10-5. Look with me here. 2 Corinthians 10-5, I'm almost done. We've got to inspect the cracks in our lives. We've got to say, here's an area I'm struggling, so it's a crack and I need some help. The Bible has the answers. It's not just an ancient text. I'm telling you, this book is alive. It changes us. It molds us. It conforms us. If you want the joy and the peace of God, this book. It's given us the instructions on how to do it. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, in guarding your thoughts, casting down imaginations. 2 Corinthians 10.5, I'll give you a moment, here a few pages turning. Second Corinthians 10.5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity what thoughts? What thoughts? Every thought to the obedience of Christ. Does God care how you think? He does. Every thought is to be guided. Now you can be sitting there reading your Bible and a nasty thought can come to your mind. Now that thought doesn't necessarily come from you. It could come from Satan. But you don't have to continue to think about that thought. You take that thought and you cast it aside with the truth of God's word. Guard your thought life. Guard what you think about. Evaluate. Is this true by the word of God or is it a lie? Does the Bible agree with it or is the Bible not, right? You've got to evaluate that. The second, another way is by, to inspect those cracks and to fix. So love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving your neighbors yourself. A great commission. The great commandment. And last of all, 1 Corinthians 3.10, would you turn with me here, last verse. And a final word and I'll be done. 1 Corinthians 3.10. The Apostle Paul, the Word of God, Apostle Paul by the inspiration of the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, he admonished us to build properly from the ground up. If you build a house on a shaky ground, that concrete foundation, or whatever the foundation is, and it, that foundation's moving, the rest of your structure's moving, and guess what? If you have drywall up and you have that mud, you're going to have a lot of cracks in your walls. You must build properly from the ground up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon.
It is only when you lay a proper foundation, you continually build on this foundation, can we look forward to the Lord Jesus Christ one day saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You might be saying, well, I'm not very good at reading my Bible on a daily basis. I will say your foundation is weak. But pastor, you know, God, God understands I'm a busy person. No. What is important to you, you'll give time to. If this book is not important to settle and start your day, then your foundation is shaky. Your faith is weak. I'm telling you, it's not a matter of, well, okay, we'll just dismiss it. No. Without faith, it's impossible to plead him. Without faith, <clears throat> this book, you won't be grounded when the hard times come. This book is what establishes us. This book. You said, Pastor, is it really that important? I'm telling you, it's that important. The truths in this book, they secure, they tell you about eternity, they tell you about hell, they tell you about a loving Savior that died on a cross and rose again because he loves you and he doesn't want you going there. He only created hell for the devil and his angels. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to be his child, adopted into the family of God, loved forever, cared for in compassion. That is God's desire for you. We get that from this book. You can't fortify a foundation if your foundation is built on your own reasonings. Christians, non-Christians, number one, if you're not a Christian, you need to make Jesus Christ your Savior. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. And you know what? He won't turn any away if you'll come to Him in faith as a child. Simple faith. I'm a sinner. Guilty before the court of God. I'm a guilty sinner, as all of us are. Forgive me of my sins and be my Savior. And Christian, I'm telling you, when these hard times come, it ought to break me and get to a place, God, what does your word say? I will obey and I will follow. Because otherwise, your foundation is not fortified. Your foundation is moving and you will face some very unnecessary consequences. It is God cares that much. He loves us so much to give us this book. It's our responsibility to just follow it, to yield ourselves to it and say, okay, Lord, I don't understand why, but I'll follow and obey. So we come to a time of invitation this morning. If I could have Mrs. Pat come forward, please. I want to ask you, are you moving forward in faith? Is your life, could your life be characterized as living by faith, or is your life characterized, well, sometimes I ask God for help, but most of the time I do it myself. I'm telling you then, if that's the condition of your heart, then your faith is very weak if you have a faith at all. Now, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you can't lose it, but if you haven't accepted Christ, and you're not sure where you're going to spend eternity, if you were to breathe your last breath, where are you going? And if you couldn't give me a Bible reason why you know you're God's child, I'd love to meet with you after the service and show you how you can know for sure Jesus is your Savior. If you've, whatever you've gone through in life, this book, it's the answer. Because it comes from an eternal God who knows all the past, the present, and all the future. Your responsibility is just to follow. So with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, as the musical play, I want to encourage you. 
and ask you and plead with you, please, I don't know all that you're going through, but have you come to God's Word seeking for answers? What does He say about the situation and challenges you're going through? If you're living in sin and God says, hey, stop it, this is not right, then you need to make a decision. I'm going to leave that position of sin and I'm going to do it God's way. God is not against us. He is the person that is for you more than anyone else. He knows of all, the, all that He can do through your life if you'll just follow Him. And I trust you would say, okay, Lord, I'll follow. You'll never regret a life that has lived in obedience to the Word of God. You'll never regret it. Because you'll have the joy of the Lord, the peace of God, as you have lived in obedience to God. May your foundation be built properly from the ground up. Maybe this morning as I was preaching, you'd say, Pastor, I'd like you to pray for me. I, I won't call you out. I won't come up to you afterwards. But you'd say, I would like you to pray for me this morning with all eyes closed and heads bowed. If that's a condition of your heart, Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you just slip up your hand real quick, throw it up and pull it back down and I'll pray for you. Thank you so much. Anyone else? Th Thank you. I'd be happy to pray for you this morning. Settle that foundation. Don't let it move. I'm telling you, there's a God in heaven that loves you. He's got a plan, a perfect plan for your life. You say, well, I messed it up. He still has a plan. And he can still do something great in your life. But you've got to humble yourself and say, okay, Lord, I'll do it your way. As the music comes to a close here shortly, let your faith be the, we, the way you move forward. May you move forward in faith. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for each and every person this morning. There, Lord, there were a few that raised their hand and Father requested prayer. And Father, I know it's difficult. Lord, I know it's challenging and, and many people here have some horrible things, very painful things that they've walked through or maybe are walking through and they feel as though they're in the dark. Lord, I pray that you'd encourage their hearts now I pray, Lord, if they're not certain of the direction to go, that they'd ask. God, it's not an accident they're here this morning, and I know you love them. You love them each so much, every one of us so much, you died on that cross to forgive us of our sins and be our Savior. Father, may we be found when people ask us or things come into our lives. And people may ask, why are you doing that? He said, I'm doing that because... The Bible says so. Here's what the verse says. Here's how I'm responding. This is what the Bible said. Father, I trust that that would be the testimony of our lives. Thank you for being our gracious Redeemer. Thank you for the work you've done, and I pray for these dear people today that raise their hands. Help us as we go out to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. In your precious and holy name I pray. Amen. God bless